0: How did your Thanksgiving go? One. That's awesome. We want to celebrate with you, Robin. That's awesome. Maybe next year, the rest of us could have a good Thanksgiving, too. So You know what I think it is? You guys have ate so much turkey, you're still living in that residual effect of tryptophan. What is it? Fan? Okay. That's good. Um, Well, it's not good, but hopefully uh, you will be awake and kind of tune in with the message today. Uh, The refreshment cart will be coming by with uh, free beverages, so please look for that. And alcoholic beverages will be at a nominal fee, okay? I know some of you are thinking that's what I need to get through this sermon, right? And I hold you in contempt. I know that you're thinking that. So anyhow, you know what? Let me just say this. This is off script, but I love when I say something like that, and I just get the same look. I mean, it's like, what is this? It's like this look coming from you like... What is this guy doing? I just want to assure you, I don't know either, okay? So we're really in this together, okay? We're in this together, all right? Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh... Hey, real quick, just a couple of things. Uh, we are, I know we've said it before, but we are extremely excited about the Christmas uh, series coming up, the Christmas High. And um, it's one of those things, I, I get that every time we come up with a new series or we're, you know, we're starting to roll out a new series, we, we're we like, we can't wait to get into it. But I think what it is, it's like we, we uh, those of us on staff, we kind of work with it and we're massaging it and God keeps revealing bits and pieces of it. And it be, as it begins to come to fruition, it's just really exciting. And it becomes one of those things where it's like, man, I can't wait for us to, Roll this out to the people, and and they experience, and and we go through this together and experience what God has for us. So we are very excited about the Christmas high, the the series coming up. We've got some stories, personal stories that's coming out. We're gonna have one week that's a PG-13 week, and it, it's it's awesome. I mean, a story of reconciliation, redemption, uh, mercy, grace, unconditional love is so intertwined in this story. It's a it's incredible, and so um, really tune into that uh, that series because you're it's it's just gonna be a lot of fun. Um, and very powerful. On December 23rd, I know this may not affect you guys as much, but just in case you jockey back and forth between services, on December 23rd, we're going to be doing one joint service at this hour, 11.15, and the kids are going to be, uh, sharing with us what they've learned, which is kind of what we're going through right now, too. And so they're going to be doing somewhat of a program, uh, for us, but it's, but they're really going to be communicating the message that day. And so please, uh, if you do, uh, jockey back and forth between services on December 23rd, it'll be listed in your program. We're only having one service. We want us, we want everybody to kind of come together as one just to, uh, be a part of that, be a part of celebrating our kids connection. Uh, program. So, uh, keep that in mind. Uh, we've been in this series, uh, the story. We've been looking at the big picture, the meta narrative and the upper story of how God takes this, this, this upper story and drives it right down through the lower story, our six foot perspective. We talked about creation. We talked about God creating man, wanting to have a relationship with man, uh, placing man in paradise, man meaning man and woman, but placing man in, in, in paradise and Garden of Eden, uh, and it tells them, uh, you know, this is all yours except for one thing. Of course, what do we do? We choose that one thing we can't have. So then they're uh, pushed out of the garden. And um, and so everybody after that, we get the pleasure and the benefit of receiving this curse, the curse of sin, the curse of, of choosing wrongly. And so, uh, you know, as we look at that, God says, well, instead of me just abandoning mankind, instead of me just pulling back and, and just letting these people... Uh, go into eternity without, you know, without any hope or, or or grace. I'm going to reach into them. I'm going to show them my unconditional love. And so, really, the meta narrative becomes this big upper story becomes God's plan of salvation coming into into uh, fruition. What's really cool about you and I is that we can look back and we have this. We have the big story. We see it. We can, st- and that's what we're doing. We're taking a look at it and we see how it comes about. And, and, and we next month we're going to be celebrating. You know, uh, the King is coming. The Savior is here. The one that's going to save us is is being born. We also get to celebrate a few months later uh, the resurrection, the death and the resurrection. That that is the really the nail that says we've got hope. You know, we've got salvation. And so for us to look back and look at the meta narrative is, is is very exciting for us. So, as we look at this, though, we see that taking place. We see how God chooses individuals like Abraham and Sarah, unlikely people, to, to begin to build the, His people, to begin to build this, this, this plan of salvation. And He uses people, again, like Abraham and Sarah, that are very unlikely. They're, very, they're infertile, uh, but yet God says, I'm going to bring about my people through you. Uh, he uses people like Joseph, who had some ups and downs in his life, things he didn't deserve, but yet God takes those ups and downs and uses them to build Him glory. That really applies to us to say you know at Romans 8 28 that all things for those who love God all things will work uh towards you know t- for his glory I'm paraphrasing that but um meaning that are the details of our lives whatever they are what, however tragic they may be God can use those to bring himself glory we uh saw through Joseph's life as well that he was one individual that ended up in Egypt. And, again, God building this nation, but one person ending up in Egypt, his family comes over at some point in his life. Now we have about 70 to 71 people in Egypt. Later on, 400 years goes by, we see that 400 exponentially grow to somewhere between 2, 2.5, 3 million people. You know, it's incredible how God grew his people. Now you may say, well, what's so big about that? The United States is kind of like that. The United States has kind of grown like that. Not by just one nationality, though. I mean, we're talking about the Hebrew people, the Israelites. We're not talking about mixed cultures and all this other stuff. We're talking about one group of individuals and so we see this group they uh god says to abraham way back 400 years before he says you're you know i'm going to make your name great uh as new your name is going to be as great as the sand on the seashore the stars in the sky and he says they're going to be they're going to be in slavery and then at one point i'm going to deliver them and i'm going to plunder the nation that held them in slavery uh we picked up on that story last week where god's setting in motion uh that plan and we saw a guy by the name of moses and where god challenged moses and said, "I want you to be a part of something big here, and so God chooses Moses to be a deliverer of his people to bring them out of Egypt and we looked at the plagues and and all that stuff, so they leave egypt as they 're leaving Egypt. This is where we kind of pick up today as they leave egypt we 've got a million you know a couple million people here get you know, the workforce of Egypt moving getting out of uh getting out of Egypt pharaoh has a change of mind again he's like what in the world did i just do i need to get these people back and so he he uh he um, he they go after him he rounds up about 600 chariots and army and he goes out after the hebrews the israelites that are leaving and so uh as the story goes the israelites come up to the red sea and talk about being between a rock and a hard spot they're standing before the red sea and And they're looking back, and they see the Egyptians pressing in on them, and they're thinking, what in the world's taking place now, you know? And God demonstrates himself. He tells Moses to raise his staff. Moses does, and the water literally parts. They walk through, not on moist ground, not on damp ground, but on dry ground, uh, the Bible tells us. And so... Uh, the army, the Egyptian army chases them, and as the Egyptian army gets into the, into the, into the sea following them, uh, God puts the waters back to its, their normal state, and they drown. And so, we see this incredible story taking place of God delivering his people. Today I want to pick up on, uh, as we, as, as, as they, as they go through that miracle, God brings them to a mountain by the name of Sinai, and that's found in Exodus chapter 19, if you would turn there with me. And we're gonna pick up on our story. And through this entire time, turn to Exodus. By the way, Genesis meaning starting. Exodus meaning? Trick question, right? I know it must mean exiting, but... Exiting, they're leaving. Exodus makes sense. Uh, Exodus, uh, so they're exiting Egypt. Uh, During this time... Moses begins to have this dialogue, this ongoing dialogue with God. God's coming to Moses and he's, and he's, and he's, uh, sharing with him, hey, this is, kind of begins to share some of the details. So in Exodus chapter three, or chapter 19 verse three, we're going to pick up on it and it says this, Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Okay, we got some stipulations now. God's saying, I'm going to reach in. I'm going to provide salvation here. I'm going to provide, you know, I'm going to, we're going to do something big here. But there's a stipulation. Obey me fully and keep my covenant. This promise that I'm promising you. Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So God begins to roll this picture out to Moses and say, saying, tell this to the people. I'm going to build my nation. I am right in the middle of building my nation. You can see what's happening. You are my people. You are going to be my chosen one. you, ones. You are going to be the ones that's going to represent my kingdom. When other nations look at you, they're going to see a microcosm of heaven. They're going to see a microcosm of where I live. It's, it's, it's it, of my kingdom. My ways, and ultimately, God was bringing them back into a relationship with Him. Uh, not only to have a relationship, but also to bring Him glory, ultimate glory. God lays these plans out. He says, "This is what it's going to look like. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do these things, but you are. There's some involvement on your part. You've got to keep. You've got to obey me, and you've got to keep this covenant. And so, what God is doing, He's restoring." Back in the garden when it got broke, after he created things and he said it was good, and then man, it was very good, and then things got broke, God is in the business, if I can say it that way, of restoring things, making broken right again. God beginning to, uh, he's coming to man and he's saying, I, I, we're going to have this relationship uh, with one another. And he begins to lay out all these details of how his presence should be received. When you take, if you spend some time reading through Exodus, you read how God's going to, his presence is going to come down and how the people are going to respond. I mean, very, it's very strategically laid out how God is going to relate with his people and his, and how his presence should be received. And he lays out the conduct of his people. And so when Moses takes this information and rolls it out to the people, they respond correctly. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 8, it says, the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Wouldn't that be exciting? Where, where everybody joins together and says, you know what? we are going to do everything that the Lord has said, regardless of how difficult it is, regardless of how challenging it may be, regardless if I have to lose some of my comfort, and I have to go out of my comfort zone. Whatever it is, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses took that answer, and he took it back to the Lord. Now, what happens next is, it's as if the people begin to see and experience the separation between the holy and the unholy, because God brings them over to the Mount Sinai and brings them more into 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 the into His presence, and He lays out what that's going to look like, and He lays out that um, you know that that they can't touch the mountain and all these stipulations, because He is holy, and if they touch it, they will surely die. And so they begin to really experience this sense of of, of understanding, of awareness of how holy God is and how unholy they are. And so they become very frightened. And in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 19, we read about this. And it says this, When the people saw the thunder and lightning, God, again, descending onto this mountain, God, God's presence beginning to come down onto this mountain, when the people saw the thunder and lightning, and they heard the trumpet, it's throughout the word of God we read that when God speaks, it sounds like a trumpet to man. And when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. It's kind of that same awareness that Moses had when he walked upon the burning bush and God said, hey, take the shoes off because you're on holy ground now. This is what they started to do. This is what they were experiencing. And so they stayed at a distance and look what they said to Moses. Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen. But don't let God speak to us, or we'll die. That's called reverence. They had this concept of holy fear, this sense of awe, this sense of, you know what? We're starting to see where we fall in the food chain. You ever have that, you ever have that awareness in your life where you may be out doing something and you realize... That you're, you may not be at the top of the food chain, right? And, and you have this sense of, this sense of awareness, which is followed by paranoia and fright. Okay, I think it's what these people had. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is big. And he said, Moses, you communicate with us because if God communicates with us, if 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 we're if we're that close, if we're in that presence, we're, we'll surely die. But, but here's the kicker is that God literally invited them. This was like one of the first worship services ever where God invites them into his presence to worship him and they tremble with fear and they're petrified. So Moses, later on in the story, Moses goes back up to the mountain and God begins to inscribe the Ten Commandments to Moses. Uh, Literally, it says God reached down and inscribed them on stone. And so God gives Moses the Ten Commandments and he establishes this covenant, this promise with man. The first half of the the covenant, or the uh, first half of the relation, uh, the first half of the commandments relate with a vertical relationship with God. You're not going to have any other gods before me. You're not going to have graven images and so forth. The next half of the Ten Commandments deal with the horizontal relationship with mankind. Jesus summed it up very eloquently in the New Testament when they tried to trip him up to say, which one's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, well, it's the love God, love others, more or less. You know, love the God, with your heart, soul, and mind, love others as yourself. Uh, in that passage of Scripture, he's basically saying, love God, love others. You get this part down right, this part's going to happen. Here's the kicker for us, guys. We want this to happen without this happening, right? I sit, I can be in counseling sessions, and we can cut to the chase right off the bat to talk about this. Well, I want to, I want to talk to you about my marriage. I want to talk to you about why I don't get along with my coworker. I want to talk to you about these other things, how I got hurt or whatever it may be. I want to talk to you about things. And nine times out of ten, they always relate to this right here. Well, before we do that, why don't we talk about this? Where are you at with God? Where's your prayer life at? How much time are you spending in prayer? How much time are you genuinely spending in your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Is it intimate? Let's focus on this. Because if we get this straight, Generally, this is going to happen. I'm going to be able to get along with other people. When I begin to discover the forgiveness, the grace that God has given me, I'm not so sure I can hold that out on others, hold out that on others this way. I tend to be a little bit more forgiving tend to be a little bit more compassionate, tend to be a little bit more empathetic with individuals. If we get this straight, this becomes straight. Love God, love others. So God, uh, uh, God rolls these commandments out and he says, this, these are the char- this is how I want them to live. This is how I want you to live. This is what's going to be the characteristic, or the, this is what's going to characterize my people, the people of my kingdom. Jesus kind of rolls that out in the Sermon on the Mount when he comes and he says, "This is what my kingdom, the constituents, will look like." And it deals with uh, the same concepts, but it's it's that you know God coming and saying, you know, if I'm going to bless you, if you're going to be a part of this, if you're going to receive what I want to give you, there's some skin in the game here. There's some there's some uh, there's there's an involvement an investment on your part, and this is what it looks like. And so he rolls these ten commandments out. So as he's going through this, Moses is in this dialogue with God through other things too. Um, for forty days, he's on the mountain. Okay, he's for. 40 Forty days, he's on the mountain. Now, at one point, when you read the story, it's really kind of cool. Uh, Obviously, Moses could never come, mankind can never come in contact with God. We know that. We've read that, studied that. Uh, Because we're unholy, God is holy. If we see God, we'll die. But Moses uh, was in the presence of God so much that when he came down off the mountain one time, he literally glowed to the point where people were like, whoa, put something over yourself because we can't see. He blinded them. I mean, what a testimony, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome if, if we were so filled with the Holy Spirit that pe- when the people look at it, they're like, wow. Man, they're full of Jesus. It's like, wow. I think it was such an awesome testimony. Nevertheless, he's on, the mo- he's on this mountain for 40 days having these dialogues with God. Well, as he's on this mountain for 40 days, back at the ranch, things are getting a little restless. Because we as people... We don't do well with patience, do we? Our leader's gone. What's taking place? We need to do something. Heaven forbid we stop and just have patience. Heaven forbid we just kind of plant ourselves and say, you know what? God's in control. Let's continue to trust God. No, that's not what we'll do. Let's get impatient because we need to do something, right? We can't just sit. We can't just be still and know that he's God. We need to do something. And so they get together and they do something all right. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said this Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They lose sight, they get distracted. You know, I, I find it very interesting because, again, I think we all can relate to this. This is how we are. You know, instead of us, and, we, and we've, we've, we know this from reading the New Testament, but instead of us sitting down, even in churches, instead of us sitting down saying, you know what, we need to seek God about some things. We need to really rely on God. We need to spend some time praying to God. We need to pause. We need to reflect. We need to wait and allow God to show us the direction that he wants us to go. Instead of doing that, we get pressed in saying, what are we going to do? 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 Well, we've got some, you know, we've got some people that can really think, let's put together a plan. Let's do this. Let's do this. You know, let's give, here, have, have Hagar, the, the maid servant. Surely that'll be the answer. You know what I'm saying? It's the same concept. God said, this is my plan. I'll take care of it. God says, this is my church. I'll take care of it. The best thing that we could do is sit back and say, let's let him take care of it. Let's seek him. Let's let him give us the details. Let's do it on his timing. But, just like in this story, they get impatient. We don't know where he's at. Aaron, we need some gods to follow. What can you do for us? The interesting part about this is, after all they had seen, we're talking about, some, we're talking about this, this group of people seeing some big things that God had done. Instead of them sitting back and saying... And looking at all the provisions that God had done, I mean, they'd experienced all the plagues. they had seen the gnats. they had seen the flies. they had seen the frogs. They'd seen the water turn to blood. they had seen all these things. They'd seen the, ma- the firstborn males get completely executed in one night and them spared when they had the blood over the doorframe. They saw all of those things. They saw God part to the water. They were fed by, if we continue to read the story when they're in the wilderness, God fed them manna. God fed them quail. God providing for them. God leading them. Instead of them pondering and reflecting on that to say, you know what? God took care of us up to this point. Why don't we just trust in God? Instead of doing that, they lost sight. They forgot. Aaron, we need some gods. We're a little impatient. And that's kind of like what we do. We buy into, the I think, what we we could call the mark of the beast, where we buy into our society where we say, I want instantaneous gratification. And I want it now. I want it now. I know that sounds redundant, but it's not. I want gratified, and I want it now. I want you to feed me. I want you to do this. I want this, 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 and this. If I don't get this, then I'm going to go someplace that I will get this. Or I'm going to do this. You know, and there are all these conditions. They forgot. Exodus 32:2, Aaron answers them. Aaron says, "Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me." Now you may say, well, that, that's, you know that was probably a small calf, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but let's think about this. two to three million people. And when we read back when God talked to Abraham and he said, "When they leave, they're going to plunder the nation of, they're going to plunder the nation that has them in captivity." When you read that whole story, when they finally did leave, it was like they were they were saying, get out after the plagues. They were like, get out of here. Take whatever you want. Just giving them all these all their possessions and all that stuff. And so they're coming out with a lot of gold and a lot of stuff. And so, that you know, you talk about two to three million earrings and things like that. It's going to add up. And so they had plundered the Egyptians and they had a lot. Exodus 32, verses 19 and 20. Moses comes down from the camp, from the mountain, and he approaches the camp and he sees the calf. And the dancing in his anger burned. And he threw the tablet, tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountains. And he took the calf. I love this. I can get behind this retribution right here. This, is, this really dips into my humanness. He took the calf the people had made and he burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made him drink it. Isn't that cool? That's a cool story. You want to worship an idol? Here you go. Why don't you eat it while you're at it? I mean, you talk about Moses on the mountain, man. He's coming down, and he's, he's coming down from spending time in the presence of God. And what does he find? His brother, who was supposed to be his mouthpiece, leading the people into idolatry, pagan worship. I mean, leading them into false worship. By the way, just something to think about. I find it very interesting that this was the guy that God gave him when he said what? I can't speak eloquently. I wonder sometimes if we would just say, this is what you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. I wonder if we could kind of bypass some things at times. You know what I'm saying? Just something to think about. But he has this guy, his brother, Aaron, who falls into, this, into, the, um, into the requests Of the people, and so then he questions Moses. Turns to Aaron and he questions to Moses. Now, this response right here is if you're if you're a parent in here, this is the first inclination of parenting, okay? Because what you have is a classic example of excuses, okay? And I love it. He said to Aaron, "What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin?" Aaron says, "Do not be angry, my lord. You know how prone these people are to evil." I love that shifting. You know what I mean? started in the garden, though. God comes to Adam. Well, she made me eat it, right? It's that shifting. Well, I didn't do it. I, well, they made me do it. Well, I can give you all the reasons. It's like talking to a child. Did you do this? Yes, but let me tell you why. And I'll spend the next 20 minutes rolling this out. Well, the people are evil. And they said, make, make us gods who will go before us. As for, this, uh, as for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And this next verse is the classic excuse of every. I love this. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave, to, gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came a calf. Oh, okay. That must have been awesome, huh? You know, it's like, are you kidding me? They had, you know, the interesting part, the irony of all of this is, the first two commandments is, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, thou shalt not have any graven images or making idols. They literally violated the, two, the first two commandments before they even got them. They had already violated them. No other gods, no graven images, and that's exactly what they were doing. Here's where I want to go with this, though. Why did God give them the Ten Commandments? He gives them the law. It's often called the law of the Ten Commandments. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And the question is, why did he give? Now, it's twofold, okay? It's twofold. God says, look, you you gotta have some, it's gonna cost, I I don't wanna use the word cost, but there's supposed to, there's going to be a a response to this covenant that I'm making with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to be You're going to be the nation of all nations. But there is some strings attached here. And what I'm asking you to do is obey me. Obey me. And keep the covenant. Keep the promise. It's also to point us to something else. And I want to pick up on that something else. Because in Romans, if you would turn there with me, Romans chapter 3 verses 19 and 20. Paul Articulates the something else. Paul says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, the Ten Commandments, whatever the law says, and all the, there was more to it than just the Ten Commandments. But whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscience of our own sin. New Living Translation. Let me read it to you from that translation. Listen to this. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Excuses. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one, verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Let's think about that for a minute. The law simply shows us how sinful we are we are. Is it safe to say that up until this point, as we're looking at the meta narrative, that we see man struggling with sin? Is it safe to say that? I don't want to go back and recap. I hope you agree with me. Is it safe to say that this pattern is continuing to emerge? This pattern that we see that man really wants to do his slash her own thing We live in that today, don't we? Well, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, why can't I do it? Well, you know, and we get wrapped up in all this, but we're starting to see this pattern. And clear back at the beginning of time, Adam and Eve chose to sin, which set in motion, in motion this curse that every single person that was born after them gets to inherit this great gift called depravity, called sin nature. so what we see is this pattern of man struggling with their humanness to sin. A tendency to want to go our own way. Now, let me break it down for you and make it really easy for you. Let me make it real to you because you do this too. And let me share with you how we do it. We compare ourselves with other people. Okay? If I can compare myself to someone else that may not be doing it, better than me I feel pretty good that make sense take Brian Ford there have you seen the idols in his life they're not as bad as mine they're not as bad as mine take Lynn Keller you ever heard the way he talks I don't talk that way take Char Horky you ever seen some of the stuff in her life Mine's not like that. I feel pretty good about myself. So what we do, we compare. We may, we may also compare our giftedness like, wow, I don't have that gift. You know, they're really, they got that. I wish I had that. We, we can become jealous. But on the flip side, on the other side, of it, we compare ourselves with other people. And we start looking at it and we're saying, well, I'm not that bad. I don't, I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I don't have an adulterous affair. That person did. I don't have this in my life. I don't have that in my life. I'm, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a bit spiritually more mature than, than this other person. And so, we, you know, we say, well, I'm not as bad as blank. You fill in the blank. Or I haven't done half the stuff that blank has. And so we fill it in. Now, that's pretty cool if it just stopped there. Okay? But here's where it all breaks down is that the law compares us to Jesus. And that's where it all breaks down. Because when we start comparing ourselves to Jesus, who there was only one man who fulfilled the law and lived the perfect life, Jesus, that's where it gets depressing. Because I can't live my life like Jesus. No way. And it all falls apart. Paul says we have the law that points to us to say, we've got got stuff in our life. We've got sin in our lives. And we need a Savior. Clear back at the beginning here. We saw it in the plague of the of the uh, Passover, and we're starting to see this symbolism come through. This big picture, this meta narrative, where God is saying, "You need a savior. You're not as good as what you're cracked up to be, and staying in the condition that you're in, it's not going to cut it." I'm holy and you're not. But instead of God leaving it there to say, I guess, I guess, you know, it's, it's just, you're going, that's the way it's going to be. God says, I'm going to provide a way. We're so fortunate to look back at that meta narrative and see that God's hand, his unconditional love, his sovereignty, him being in control, where he is working through. The, the obstacles, the details, whatever it may be good or bad, God is working through this big story saying, "My a Savior's coming, a Savior's coming, a Savior's coming. Next month, that's what we're talking about with the Christmas high. The King has come. We need a King. We need a king that's going to save us. We need someone that's going to reach down in the depths of hell, that's going to reach down in our brokenness and stick his hand, a loving hand out to us and pull us out and place feet on the dry ground. Christmas is what we celebrate that as, that the king has come. Isn't that awesome? Jesus has come. God's showing us that we need a savior. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're experiencing today. I'm not, I don't know where you are on your spiritual journey. But I pray that as we close this, the, our time out, these next few moments in a couple songs, uh, oh, a, a time of worship, I, I, I pray that you would just use that time to connect with God. Because the one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that God wants you to encounter Him. Some of you have already done that today. Some of you are sitting in here. You've encountered God. You're in this mode of worship. You're in this mode of, of celebration, of, of of expressing back to Him your love, your your, your heart, your openness. Some of you are sitting in here this morning. You're distracted because there's some there's some things going on in your life that, that that's constantly on your mind. There's things that may be happening within you know the service here that where you're distracted and you're like I you know you're just you're off you're allowing you're allowing the enemy to take you off point the one thing I'm the one thing I can tell you right now is that God is inviting every one of us at that mountain again this morning and he's saying I want to reveal my presence to you I want to reveal myself to you you may be sitting in here this morning don't compare don't run that risk of saying well I've already made that decision and things like that. Guys, God, do you understand that God wants to take you deeper? You have not arrived. God wants to take you deeper. He wants to continually show you more of himself. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. Let's go deeper. deeper, Until you stand in, in his presence face to face and he says, well done. Come on in. And you receive a new body to where we're not fighting this junk of sin anymore. I don't know where you're at, but I pray that your heart would be tipped and turned and open right now to encounter God, to encounter God. I ask that you would respond to him the way he wants you to respond. If you need to step aside and pray, or if you need to come and pray with someone, would you feel the freedom to do that? Because I want you to encounter what God has for you today what god has for you it may be salvation for some of you would you please do that as we as i close with prayer and we uh spend a few moments uh worshiping him through song father i thank you for your word i thank you for the opportunity that we have the privilege that we have to look back and and have, we have the bible we have your you, you revealing yourself to us through your written word God, I thank you so much for that. Sometimes we can take those things for granted, God, but this morning we're not. We're stopping, we're pausing, and we're saying thank you. God, I pray that you would take this moment and use it for you, yourself. I pray that you would allow people to encounter you. I pray that you would knock down any distractions that that may be in this room right now. I pray that your awesomeness, your holiness, your presence would just uh, humble us and that we would just fall on our knees and give you glory and praise. I pray that you would just again allow people to to receive you. Um, I pray that you would find hearts that are open and eagerly turn to you. And I pray this all through the powerful name of your Son our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.